When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Global macro never disappoints. Uh, today, it's Tuesday, the 20th of December, and we've had an action-packed day with Bank of Japan out with a message in the very early morning, now allowing the 10-year bond yield to trade up to 50 basis points. And, um, oh boy, we've had global ramifications of this decision from Bank of Japan. So today, we're going to ask the question, did the Bank of Japan just wreck Powell's plan? And uh, I'm joined by a couple of great guests today to discuss this um, question. First of all, welcome to our editor in Tokyo, Western Nakamura. Good morning, gentlemen. How are we? Good, good. Um, good to have you on a day with a lot of action from Japan. But uh, also a warm welcome to Dale Pinkert, the head of trader development at TradeGate Hub. Thank you very much, Andre. It's great to be with both of you guys. But uh, before we get started, if you've been wondering what the hell to get people for Christmas, um, I've got an idea. Uh, what about a Real Vision membership? You can do exactly that if you head to uh, www.realvision.com slash give a gift. It's the perfect gift if you ask me. But uh, back to you, Weston. Uh, we need to unpack this action from Japan. Bank of Japan took the decision to widen the trade range in the 10-year bond yield from plus 25 basis points to 50 basis points but that wasn't the only decision they took earlier today so uh, unpack this uh, bank of japan action for us yeah sure so um i i guess it was a huge surprise move even though you know so many people like the the general consensus had predicted that this kind of outcome policy outcome would come just later on after Governor Crota ends his term in 2023 of April. Um, so the surprise was the timing of it. But basically what happened was earlier today, yesterday for me, Bank of Japan, they expanded their you know yield curve control target range. Um, and so that would be seen as a kind of rate hike, if, if you will, because of the fact that JGB 10s have been pinned up against the previous ceiling of 25 basis points and stuck there for the better part of many months. Um, and so by them lifting it, they knew that there was going to be a, you know, shoot up at the tenure uh, tenor. And look, Kuroda the whole time is saying, this is not a rate hike, this is not a rate hike, this is not a rate hike. And technically, it's not that, that is true because a rate hike, you know, typically implies front end policy rates, which are kept at uh, minus zero. Uh, I'm sorry, minus 0.1%, which is a negative rate, which is still BOJ as the only central bank with a negative rate policy um, in place. So in that sense, it's not a rate hike. However, when you start to explicitly include the long end of the uh, and so that is a rate hike. Um, however, on the other hand, and so that would be seen as hawkish. On the other hand, they also increased the amount of their monthly scheduled JGB buying um, across the full curve from, uh, I think it was like 
seven and 7.2 trillion yen prior to now 9 trillion yen. So you're getting a rate hike and you're also getting uh, increased bond buying. And that seems to be kind of, you know, contradictory. Weston, if we look at the reaction in um, in the Japanese yen, we had a move uh, of roughly 4% from just above the 137 handle versus the US dollar to just above uh, the 131 handle. So quite a move in FX space. 4% is quite a lot when you look at it in foreign exchange terms. What do you make of the Japanese yen outlook after this decision? Sure. Um, so, Brian, that second chart I sent you, um, if you could put that up. So the yen move was indeed, that you were saying, calling it a yen move, uh, Andreas, and not a dollar move. Um, if you look at the, if you just look at all yen crosses, be it USDJPY, EuroJPY, AUDJPY, CNHJPY, it's they're all, you know, minus three percent, minus three and a half percent, minus four um, percent. Clearly, this is a yen short squeeze uh, move. And the reason the short squeeze is because, as you and I have been saying basically all year, the yen, shorting the yen is the global macro trade of 2022, or was, uh, extremely crowded. And because it's more or less a Fed play, because you have front-end rate volatility, implied volatility, uh, astronomically high, because uh, which reflects policy uncertainty um, out of the Fed, and for good reason. And so rates traders who would traditionally take, you know, a, a directional bet on where policy rates, where Fed funds rates are going to be at what level at, you know, when that's much harder to do. So instead, they're just playing the relative trade of a dovish um, or a standstill central bank, which is the BOJ versus the uh, the hawkish Fed. And now what you're getting is a simultaneous simultaneous. Um, Fed potentially, you know, coming to its end of its rate hiking cycle, and then a perceived BOJ who's supposed to be the standstill leg now uh, starting to, you know, potentially begin a rate hiking cycle, and so that now you're getting a compression or a convergence maybe of of policy, if you will, on both sides. Plus, it's December, um, and the buy side, who has been short the yen, uh, is going to take profits and take their bonus. And so you're getting a lot of uh, position covering and short squeeze um, in the yen. Uh, specifically, if you look at yen futures, um, 75 was a level, was a very key level. There's more, a, lot, a lot of recent shorts got in. There's a lot of options uh, positioning there, too. And so you can see it just blasts right through there. Um, and if the next level, you should really need to watch like uh, volume on yen futures, uh, volume price action on yen futures, not so much the spot currency on for USDJPY. Um, at 80 um, for yen futures on CME, if it gets there and breaks through there, then we're talking dollar yen at you know mid 120s to to you know 120 120 125 to 127, um, but cracking into the 120 handle. Could I, could I interject something in question I'd like to ask? Absolutely. Weston, please. So, Weston, why December? Do you think the BOJ thought in thin market conditions it would be more impactful because markets were, you know, people closing their books for the year, walking away, and you talked about the timing being surprise. Why in December? Sure. Yeah. So, that's the, that's a, such a fantastic question. So, this is. I just want to give my kind of my my view, my reading on this, um, because the timing is very kind of shocking, right? Um, essentially, 
a lot of people, I think, like, you know, the general consensus is that this is um, this is a, a rate hike. This is the end of the Bank of Japan, um, and they're, you know, they're easing. They were the first in. They're the last out. This is an end of an era. This is the last major central bank who is now removing accommodative policy. No more free money. That, that like, this is the end of that. This is, like, a, a huge regime shift, not just for Japan, but for uh, major, you know, G5 central banks at large and all that kind of thing, right? Um, however, if you look at the policy statement, they don't mention anything about CPI or anything like that. Okay, this has nothing to do with Japan CPI, which is in a which has a three handle on it, um, which is high for Japan, but obviously much lower than uh, everywhere else. And so, what? Why would they suddenly? Or why are they reacting to it now in this manner um, with two meetings left for Governor Kuroda's term? Right. So this is indeed for financial stability and not for CPI. Um, uh, Brian, if you put up that uh, kind of that gif <laughs> that I have, um, I tweeted this uh, sort of recently, but the Bank of Japan basically conducts a uh, survey of bond market participants, and you can see that there is a sharp deterioration of bond market, uh, JGB market functioning, such that you get no trade sometimes, you know, uh, you have the Bank of Japan owning um, 80%, 90%, and sometimes even over 100% of uh, certain issues. Because of and that's possible because they basically own the entire issue and then they lend them out. Um, you have a, you know inability to price you know credit issuance and all that and just uh, you know um, collateral issues and and just so so much sort of like dysfunction that's that's coming of this that they need to just kind of fix the yield curve and they need to do it immediately. You can't have seven year, eight year, nine year JGB yields not only yielding above the twenty five basis point cap that was the previous. Um, but but you know well above the the tenure, um, so so that's why they that's why they did it now. And what I think too is that, you know, if if you think of it, like if you just remove the CPI part out of the equation, right? Because everyone thinks about like okay, this is a response to inflation, right? Um, the, like inflation has nothing to do with 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 this because inflation is a very like J Japan is an enigma in that in that field. And you know, since yield curve control was rolled out, you know what people don't really realize is that Bank of Japan has been beating to its own drum all along, not just this year, but since 2016, right? Um, we've had uh, basically in the for, for FOMC, we've had a rate hike, we've had a rate cut, we've had rates kept at flat um, at the zero bound, then a rate hike cycle again, and now potentially that's coming to an end. All that's been happening, and BOJ has been on, you know, kind of yield curve control autopilot this whole time. Um, and so, why, why now? Why, after buying a, you know, half a quadrillion yen worth of JGBs, cornering half of the market, setting the price on the other half, um, again with two meetings left, um, if not for something that else that is happening, and that is the deterioration of the JGB market. So I think that if you if you look at it from that angle, and if you actually just um, Central bankers, yeah, they lie a lot. Kuroda spent half his tenure, the <laughs> first half of his tenure lying uh, about policy. But if you actually just listen to what they're saying and look at the data, um, this is about financial stability and financial you know, markets that have become so dysfunctional that, that they, because of their, their very intrusive force in the market, they needed to correct um, immediately to do so. And that's why you have also that uh, sort of quote contradictory increase in the scheduled JGB buying just to signal to markets like this is not 
any sort of policy removal, policy accommodation, uh, like accommodation removal is not a rate hike or anything like that. This is to correct the, um, you know, the, the dysfunction that's happening. And to that end, okay. what the the additional thing that there was urgency. There was urgency for them to go. It's yeah. It's the and answer. So there, okay. It's urgency. So so it's actually a very alarming thing, um, but for different reasons. It's not a Japan CPI thing, and it's not that. Right. It's it's like they they are ma taking emergency measures. There's no really and conceptually no different from when the Bank of England stepped in. I was going to bring uh, that in. in Guilt. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. They had to correct. They had to do something immediately. So this is global. This is global sovereign debt crisis, right? It, 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 exactly. It, it not, yeah, on, on, but on like a mechanical level. So what I've been flagging is that now the spillover risk that people really need to um, uh, kind of you know keep in in the forefront of their mind um, as a very real possibility is that. So the JGB market clearly has direct implications on the U.S. Treasury market. The U.S. Treasury market currently is in a state of illiquidity and volatility that are feeding off of each other. And so one day, you at some point, you can find yourself waking up to a situation th that the you know that the the UK gilt market was in, but happening in the U.S. Treasury market, where you see you know the the okay. long end of the U.S. Treasury curve, thirty-year like uh, U.S. Treasuries starting to sp yield spiking like 100 basis points in the week, and then the Fed would have to step in and directly start buying 30-year U.S. Treasuries. And if that happens at the same time, uh, timing-wise, as when they're still on the rate hiking cycle, and they have to somehow communicate to the markets that this is not a pivot, even though we're bid for unlimited, and we're still on a rate hiking cycle, like that is a messaging like disaster nightmare. Like people don't believe the Bank of Japan right now. People don't believe the Fed right now, you know, as it is. And so that's going to that's like a serious risk that can happen. Um, that I just want to make sure that people are uh, aware of. But again, this is just uh, you know deterioration of like actual functioning of markets of you know of themselves, and not really sort of the the real economy. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Weston, final question before we allow you to get some sleep over there in Japan. Um, <laughs> Corona um, is about to end his term. Is it in April next year? Uh, and we've had a lot of discussions ongoing in the international media whether that will sort of alter the picture policy-wise for Bank of Japan. After Corona, what comes next? Uh, if we look at pricing, um, the market now expects Bank of Japan to leave the negative interest rate policy sometime towards the summer next year. Is that a feasible scenario if you're the judge? On the, neg on the policy rate, the negative rate? Mm. Yeah, because well, to, for them to leave it there, right? Mm. Um, no, no, that's, so, no, actually to hike it above zero. 
that's what's priced in. in oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For them to yeah. remove it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that would be an actual rate hike, um, mm. but that would be a welcome one uh, at that because BOJ is now that S and B and ECB are out. BOJ is the only one with negative rate. Um, you know, this upside down of, of you know uh, a negative rate hike. This, but in order for them to do that, they kind of first had to at least lift the upper band of um of of yield curve control uh, as well so it's kind of like a uh like a helpful little side effect uh, that's happening as well because if they take if jgb 10s are supposed to be at around 0 and then you take the negative um policy rate the front end up to 0 you have a pancake flat yield curve and you have banks that uh, have no net interest margin whatsoever um, so, so I think that that is a, a possibility, and that would be, you know, a, a policy change. But um, that, and that wouldn't be as disruptive as um, what you know uh, 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 they're doing at the longer uh, end uh, of the curve. So, yeah, I think that that is that is a possibility. Um, but I think that that's something that they have basically one shot at doing, and that's going to be when new person comes in. Um, if if they keep the policy, um, they're going to be stuck with that policy. They're adopting that policy, and they've inherited it. And then they, there's nothing. Then they're going to have a horrendously volatile time to get rid of it. This is the only time that where you can say like, "Thank you, Corona, for achieving the two percent target or whatever, whatever." And just, now let's pass all the baton to the next era, and and make it seem like all this is all worth it. This is all like going to plan and all that, and none of it was a policy mistake. Um, and that's the only way that they can do that. So, Weston, always a pleasure. Go get some sleep. Thank you for joining us. Um, Dale, I, I want to move uh, the discussion towards the FX ramifications of this move from Bank of Japan. If we look at dollar yen, uh, a move from just above the 137 handle to a uh, current level around 131.5, what do you make of the move in technical terms? Uh, is it possible to come up with a short-term outlook after this? It, well, it is. It's a broken market. <laughs> so, you know, it's not something I would short. I wouldn't short US dollar yen here. I wouldn't buy it either. It's uh, if you weren't coming in short today, and if you did, you you got to be ringing register because it is December. We could get another comment and uh, you could see profits evaporate. You, you don't, it's not a profit till you take it. So uh, I think there are other opportunities where I could come up and manage risk because, you know, we just watched uh, the World Cup, right, Andreas? Mm. And, and, you know, the best teams, championships are won with great defense because if your opponent can't score on you, you can't lose. And in my business, that's risk management. That's defense. Uh, so to come into the yen right now and uh, try and trade something that, you know, I can't manage to stop. I have to risk two, 300 pips in a blink of an eye. Uh, to me, I'm, I become a, spect a spectator for a while. Hmm. Makes a lot of sense, Dale. Um, I wanted to get your perspective on this potential global sovereign debt crisis as well before we move on to some technical setups that you've prepared for today. Yeah. Um, what do you make of this series of events? First, Bank of England, now Bank of Japan, potentially the U.S. Treasury market next. Yeah, that. in fact, uh, most guys that wrote about these types of crises developing believed it would start in Europe and that it would move to Asia 
and then finally wash upon the shores of the U.S. And uh, there's so much going on in debt right now. In fact, Andreas, uh, when uh, they came in the BOV to save uh, the gilt market because of pension funds, uh, I said, well, you know, there's probably some people that were pushed out on the risk curve, insurance companies and retirement accounts that have taken big hits because of what happened to bonds last year. And I believe it was this week, President Biden uh, added $350 billion to the Teamsters retirement account. So we have sovereign debt crisis. We're going to have a pension crisis. Uh, I believe it's uh, it's happening here. But at the same time, I look at the bonds, and I think this recent rally that what we're getting right now is actually a buying opportunity. So uh, I think that the bonds are going to uh, rally. They have Rates have peaked for now, and uh, I think the 10-year could trade down to about 260, 270, um, and then maybe the Fed's going to come back in later mid-year of 23 and realize that um, they're going to have to go to work again like uh, Volcker did and like other central bankers in the 70s that thought that inflation had peaked and all it was was a pullback and not the top, just a top. I perfectly agree with that assessment, by the way. Um, I wanted to get your take on a couple, a couple of technical setups that you've prepared for today. And uh, obviously the US dollar is interesting given your view on US treasuries and the bond market. Uh, if we look at the cable first, the um, pound sterling versus the US dollar. Uh, we've seen a retracement from uh, levels above 124, uh, now trading closer to 121 and a half. What do you make of the technical picture in um, in the cable right now, Dale? Okay, well, I believe that we put in a significant high on the BOE last week. Uh, the fact that two voting members uh, voted not to raise rates and the turn that we had in Euro pound is significant to me, which when Euro pound is heading up, Andreas, my preferred shorts cable, my preferred long is Euro. So I would be selling rallies uh, up to 123, maybe three and a half if the dollar weakened one more time. So there's cable. Say, for example, uh, the dollar does take out the lows from Friday at 103. Uh, I'm willing to get long dollars and risk a close on the Dixie under 102. So I'm looking for a recovery, and that should take the pound down to about 117.80, which is a pretty important area to me. Uh, might be analogous to like say 107 Dixie, 108 Dixie. And I think the surprise may be with all these systemic things happening, that uh, even though it's not a straight line, that we get a stronger dollar than most people expect. Right now, a lot of people that are dollar bears say, yeah, rally to 108, just a bear market rally to sell into. But if we get through 108, we could be talking, you know, 112 handle, not new highs, but enough to squeeze uh, a lot of dollar bears. I mean, sentiment hasn't been the sparish dollar in, in years. And uh, the dollar came off a parabolic ascent, uh, like the pound up there. And usually there's at least an echo of the strength it had before. So I'm looking for a dollar recovery and uh, I, you know, preferred shorts are, I would say cable over Euro and um, the Aussie also looks a little heavy to me as well. 
I think we'll get the rally to 108 in the Dixie. On the uh, euro side of the equation, we received news from the European Commission today agreeing on a price cap on natural gas at 180 euros per megawatt hour. Um, I consider that a um, disaster in the making for next year since it will not allow European suppliers to buy liquid natural gas if this ceiling is reached in price terms, uh, which may clearly limit the Europeans' um, ability to act swiftly if they need to fill up storages next year. Um, so this is also a story to consider uh, in Euro versus US. What a tragedy. So, yeah, yeah, it is. It is. So, yeah. So, you know, when you look at natural gas, uh, you know, I, I, I'm like you, Andreas. I talk to a lot of smart people. And they feel that this year isn't going to be the crisis year, yeah. um, and that next year is something uh, that Europe and the U.S. and everyone really has to worry about. But I, I brought in a chart of uh, WTI, yeah. and you know, as bullish as people were after the invasion, they're they're that bearish now. And uh, if the WTI chart comes up, we have again. Uh, uh, instead of just making forecasts, I thought I could, uh, it is the season of giving. So I thought I'd share uh, one of the setups I look at for inflection points. So if you look at the crude, the first little dark circle, uh, you had a confirmed low. And then the second dark circle, the RSI was higher. So we were beginning to diverge. And the final one that came in last week, which this is called a three drive to a bottom formation. I didn't invent it. I learned it from a guy named J.R. Hill in the 70s. Uh, Elliotitians would call these ending diagonals. Uh, but if you're patient and you wait for these kind of setups, uh, you end up with falling wedges, rising wedges, and two non-confirmations before the turn. So uh, crude's in an interesting junker, juncture here. Uh, looks like if we, you know, start trading and we this chart was from earlier in the day uh, that we're on the verge of breaking out. And I know a lot of people are crude bears, but I didn't think that President Biden, uh, his limit order was going to be filled at 65. So <laughs> I, I did a little front running on this one. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Interesting setup, and um, given that we've uh, had the G7 price cap on Russian oil implemented, was it a couple of weeks ago? Yeah. Uh, it's also a very interesting sort of geopolitical backdrop for this trade. What do you make of the uh, macro backdrop and the fundamental backdrop for a bullish oil trade right now? China reopening. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, part of this price decline was you had billions of people locked down. So I know it's going to be choppy uh, and, you know, fits and starts in China with what they're trying to do. But uh, their central bank is easing while, uh, you know, uh, every other central bank now, now including Japan, is not. And easy money in China and coming out of a lockdown, I think you're going to see some pretty good economic 
activity that's going to support crude prices and commodity prices in general. That's a very fair point. If we move to the outlook for precious metals, uh, I know you've prepared a technical setup in silver, um, but obviously both gold and silver are interesting to most of um, the audience um, watching out there. So quite a run in silver. What do you make yeah. of it from a technical standpoint? All right. Well, the silver chart, uh, actually the first two charts I showed a three drive to a top in the pound, then a three drive to a bottom in WTI. And if you look at the silver chart now, we haven't completed a third drive. We're on our way up there. And if you look at the bottom, the RSI is not confirming. We did take out the prior high and up around uh, 24 and a half is just a guesstimate of where I think a peak would come in. I thought it'd be interesting for viewers to follow this one and see if this one turns into a three drive to a top formation. But uh, I think that uh, what we're going to see in the stock market um, is going to uh, create some risk off in a lot of different asset classes. And uh, I think silver is overdone here. Uh, uh, Elliotitians would call this an ending diagonal. And even if it's a bull market from 24 and a half to 21, uh, would be a normal correction from where we were at the low. So, uh, you know, I think that the market is ripe. Uh, you have a lot of, uh, I think the DSI is around 85, 90 right now, Andreas. So uh, you can't find a silver bear out there unless you're watching Real Vision today. <laughs> Good point. Um, final technical chart of the, um, of the day, Dale, equities. What yeah. to make of the S&P 500 amidst all this noise? Okay. All right. Well, uh, last time I was on or the time before with Maggie, uh, there's a trend line, Andreas, that the whole cosmos, even extraterrestrials, have been monitoring uh, off the high in January. And we had that real good uh, CPI number where the market really blasted up and broke through interday that downtrend line in the S&Ps. And by the end of the day, it was back underneath it. It gave it back, which was the exact opposite character it had on the last bullish CPI report we had, where the market blasted, it held, and you had to buy that close to participate on a rally. So last week's action and then the Fed interday, if that chart comes up, it'll show that they tried to rally S&Ps uh, after the Fed looking for any bone that might be dovish, like, you know, by 2035, rates should be coming down <laughs> dramatically. <laughs> and when they rallied in her day, all they did was get back to that red line almost. They didn't tag it. And then uh, Monday, Friday and Monday was kind of sealed it for me. Uh, now we're oversold and we're due for this little seasonal strength. The, the Santa Claus rally. It's not Christmas yet. And uh, I could see some type of rally developing here, but I think the market's going to have a hard time closing back over 4,000. So uh, I'd be a seller up around 39.50 to 4,000. And it would, it would take a close back over that red line, like at 40, 50, 4,100 to tell me I'm wrong. And part of the reason is the elephant in the room, the stock that everyone owns, Andreas, 
considered mm. safe, and that's Apple. And Apple is 8% of the market cap of a couple of indexes. So if you put the Apple chart up there, we actually had a breakdown uh, on the four-hour chart at 140. So <clears throat> I was looking for that breakdown. We've held 130 so far. It would take closes back over 140 to arrest the decline. And just say I was moderately bearish, uh, I think that we could get to that 200-day, uh, 200-week moving average, 110, 115. But if I was a pure technician and I looked at the size of that formation from, uh, uh, that's about a $50, uh, $70 formation, it actually takes it back to the pre-COVID high of $80. And I just don't think the market's going to be able to make much progress until Apple could write itself. And it's on the verge of a breakdown right here. Sell rallies in Apple. Mm. I hope Warren Buffett is not listening. <laughs> I think 40% of uh, Berkshire Hathaway is still invested in Apple. Is that? Um, well, but, we uh, won't know he sold until, you know, three, four months afterwards, right? Sure. Yeah. Sure. That's always the case. Um, they'll, we have time for a couple of questions from the audience. Um, okay. And, um, well, they center around the big trades for 2023 um, amidst all this noise from global central banks intervening in bond markets, etc. cetera. Uh, so, Given the noise that we've had from Bank of Japan earlier, given the noise from Bank of England a couple of months ago, what is the big trade for 2023 from a central bank watching perspective? Any view? Short the dollar. After this rally into January, a failing rally without taking out the 114.50 level, you could pick your poison. I believe Euro will outperform cable, but cable seems to lead both ways. I'd like the commodity currencies. And then I'm I'm interested if I'm correct about this top in silver uh, to see what, if it's a break to buy or that we're really going to surprise everyone and, and flush it one more time. Uh, I'd be looking at miners. Uh, uh, really the key is wait for the S&Ps to get down to say that 3,400 level because people would be selling everything on a breakdown from the October low. And then the markets that are not making new lows and holding their October lows are your prime candidates for getting long in 2023. My And my belief is it's gonna be shorting the dollar and uh, buying commodities in general and you know, look, don't look for the same leadership in the stock market if we put in a bottom in March. It'll be different and it'll be things that hurt if you drop them on your foot. Uh, final question from one of our loyal members, Paul. Um, he's thanking us for a nice explanation on the Bank of Japan. But um, that was next, question, next question is, what does it mean for retail investors like him? Give us the red, yellow, and green lights moving forward. Um, I'll allow you to start, and then I may add a bit. Okay. Uh, what it means is that expect anything always. Everything can happen. And, and stay away from markets that could uh, end your trading career overnight. Okay, so, and uh, don't try and make your year in December. Uh, you know, I have to ask myself, why in December? Okay, um, you know, I've seen people, I've seen devaluations in December. So 
what I would tell him is to find one market he's interested in. You don't have to know 50 markets. I knew traders that were in one trading pit their whole career in the live cattle pit, and they never had to wander over to the currency pits to trade. Master one market, get to know it, how it breathes, and uh, know every important critical level in it, and above all, use less leverage. Hmm. One thing I would like to add in the uh, around the discussion on Bank of Japan is uh, chart two I send you, Brian, uh, on dollar-yen versus the Japanese holdings of U.S. bonds, because it's actually interesting that through this period of material um, weakening of the Japanese yen versus the U.S. dollar through 2022, we've seen selling of U.S. treasuries by Japanese accounts. And actually, you have that correlation um, over time that every time the Japanese yen strengthens, it usually means that they buy U.S. treasuries as well because it allows the Japanese central bank to build up FX reserves when the U.S. dollar weakens. Uh, and therefore, my counterintuitive take is that what happened today in Japan is ultimately good news for the U.S. treasury market. So I uh, lean the same way as you, Dale. I think we will get a rally in the U.S. treasury market into the first quarter of next year also as a consequence of um, Bank of Japan's decision today. And um, I guess that is a green light to watch. In terms of red lights, um, watch if Bank of Japan starts um, getting cold feet in terms of the market reaction in dollar-yen. If we get a strong rally in the yen and Bank of Japan starts uh, talking to the press about that move, um, I would lean in the other direction uh, in U.S. Treasuries as well. So. Um, Dale, to sum up, uh, it's been a crazy day in bond markets once again. It's another signal that the central banks will have to intervene from time to time to control things. Um, and when we look into next year, it will be very interesting to watch the US dollar uh, in a broader scale as a weakening move could be on the cards after a near-term rally. And then in stock space, you would watch the price action in Apple since it's so important on an index level, but also since the technical setup yeah. is extremely interesting. Dale Pinkert, the um, head of trader development at TradeGate Hub, it was a pleasure to host you this afternoon. It was really great talking to you and uh, Wes. So really enjoyed myself today. I learned from both of you guys. Thank Appreciate you very it. much. Thank you very Merry much, Christmas, Dale, and I Andreas. wish you a Merry Christmas, and I hope to see you back in uh, 2023 at the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Uh, thank you for watching out there, uh, an action-packed day. I cannot promise you uh, the same kind of action tomorrow, but in any case, I will be back with Darius Dale tomorrow afternoon. See you there. Great guy. Adios. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.